Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. We are cruising at a cool warp 9.0. This is the Strange New Worlds edition, and I'm your host, Michael Flores. Today, I'm going to be discussing and breaking down Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Spock Amok. I'm here in the studio alone for a second week in a row. Dave is still struggling with COVID, but there's no reason to fret. I have a thorough discussion planned. The episode was relatively simple, but that does not mean there is not a lot to discuss. Simplicity does not mean that it's no good, nor worthy of discussion. Because yes, episode was simple, but it was filled with all types of, I don't want to say Easter eggs, but um, allusions to future elements pertaining to Spock's life. Um, we also had a lot of comedy infused within this episode. We had notes of the philosophical. I want to say this episode had a little bit of everything. The things that make Star Trek really pop and actually brought a lot of those elements together to really make this episode, in my opinion, really succeed. Uh, this episode took a break. It did, absolutely, from the more serious tone that's been developed, uh, I would say, across the entire, not just Strange New Worlds, but the Kurtzman era as a whole. It completely just dismantled that serious tone and... And gave fans a comedic aspect that we are familiar with as Trek fans. Star Trek is far from a comedy franchise, obviously. But when it does attempt to bring in the comedic, usually, usually, it succeeds. Yes, there have been some not-so-great comedic detours. But I will say this. When Trek succeeds and manages to pull it off, it's not just mediocre. It's usually exceptional. I'd say the key to a successful, funny episode is to rely on, on the subtle. I mean, we don't want Star Trek to feel like a comedy series or a sitcom, per se. I mean, Lower Decks manages to to work within that territory because that's what that show was designed to do. Uh, but when it comes to the live action side, Star Trek isn't a comedy. So you got to be careful. You know how to, you need to know how to mix. Got to mix the drama with the comedy, those classic notes of levity. 
you know, and it's a great way to use the nuances of our characters, things we know about them, because that's the key right there. Things that we know about them, the familiar, you use those situations and or I should say you create situations and you embellish the scenarios that we throw our characters into. And that gives it that comedic flair. But this will only work if we know our characters. And if we don't know our characters, then we're not going to find those those aspects funny because a lot of the funny aspects has to do with our understanding of the characters. And that is why Spock was at the forefront of this episode. Not to say the other characters didn't deliver, but ultimately the episode rested on Spock and used the cultural differences and his upbringing to make his non-human interactions comical. And this is a tried and true method. We've seen him struggle with this social awkwardness before. Spock getting dating advice from Nurse Chapel is a perfect example of this. So the episode definitely succeeded in achieving something I'd call, you know, the classic Star Trek comedy format. And ultimately, the reason the humor worked outside of the Spock element is that we have just enough rapport with the new characters for us to be a part of the joke, because that's the key. That's why I said that you need to, to a degree, we need to understand our characters because creating comical situations like, say, a sitcom or a comedy film, it doesn't really work in the world of Star Trek, in my opinion. It's only when we bring our characters into comedy or comedic situations that we then, or I should say the quality or qualified writer, I should say, will then use the things that we know about these characters and make the situation funny by bringing out certain things in our characters that add that level of humor. And Spock has always been that character that's worked so well. Him, as well as Data, you know, Brent Spiner's character in the TNG series and the movies, he's a perfect example as well. And it has a lot to do with, with the classic misunderstanding. You're not quite understanding human, the human sense of humor, not quite understanding uh, human social interactions. Um, and that's why something like the scene where we had essentially a body swap between Spock and T'Pring was probably one of the funniest things I have seen in Star Trek in the last four or five years when they're communicating with Pike. I mean, I, I was fucking rolling. That's how good that was. And to make it that much better... The actors across the board were fantastic. I mean, Chris Pine, not Chris Pine. Who's Chris Pine? Chris Pine's not in this. What am I talking about? Christopher Pike, played by Anson Mount, his reactions to Spock and to Pring is what really made that scene pop. So things like that. And if we didn't know Pike, if we didn't know his mannerisms, and we didn't know Spock, the scene probably wouldn't have worked as well as it did. And the reason why we can even sit here today and talk about characters that we know, and I know there may be people out there saying, we've only been, we've only sat through five episodes. Do we know the characters? Can you say that we know the characters? And I would absolutely say we do. Obviously, there's a lot more to learn about these characters. We've only scraped the tip of the iceberg, 
but we do know our characters. They, they've done a good job introducing our new characters in a way that has allowed us to get to know them fairly quickly. And when I say know them, yeah, we don't know everything about their background, their, their journey to this point, but we do know some of their character quirks, their mannerisms, and they play on what we do know of them up to this point and use that to, to bring out the, the, the notes of comedy. And just think about that. That's quite an achievement. Five episodes in. Five episodes. And we have just enough insight into the characterizations of the new crew for an episode like this to work. Yes, that's definitely a testament to the talent in the writing room. But also there's an argument to be made about the episodic format. I know there's people out there probably shaking their head because a lot of Star Trek fans seem to really be, um, I'd say they appreciate what the producers have done with Strange New Worlds, essentially bringing back a hybrid version of the episodic formula. And it is working for this series, at least with the direction they want to take this series. It's allowed the writers to explore other characters rather quickly. As an example... We can use Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, a show which I do like quite a bit. I know that's a controversial statement or maybe a divisive statement. There seems to be a lot of people who just, I mean, classic Star Trek fans that don't really gravitate to the series, but it did struggle for a while when it came to the characters. We didn't even know the bulk of our crew until halfway through season two, or I would even say initially... We do a lot more within that opening episode when Pike, of all people, uh, was introduced and he needed to get to know the crew because he was going to be assuming command of Discovery and he needed to know the crew. So he quickly went across the, the bridge and got everyone's name. And David and I talked about that moment and we've brought that moment up various times when when talking about this very topic, the fact that in Discovery for that first season, we had a vague idea of who the crew was. I mean, for the first two episodes, we didn't have any standing crew. We had no standing captain until this past season, season four. And even though I can get behind that idea for Discovery, I feel like uh, um, on paper, it was a good idea, but it wasn't quite executed as well as it probably should have been or could have been. And because of that, we never really got an idea of who the crew was around Burnham and, and Saru, who was more or less the focus. And of course, George Joe, there was two or three characters we definitely understood. But it wasn't until that first episode of season two when Pike needed to know the names of the crew. And he went, went around the bridge and said, OK, everyone give me your name. And David and I were when we reviewed that that episode, we said, Jesus Christ, that's how fucking easy, easy it can be to give your crew some names that the audience will remember because it was done in a matter of like 10 or 15 seconds. And then from then on, they slowly built the crew rather than just solely focusing on say Burnham. So you could argue that, that this is possibly the reason why we should stick to this hybrid format as opposed to the serialized format. 
because, you know, you have that inability at times to deviate from that structure. When you're dealing with a serialized television show, there's a very specific story that you need to stick to. And there isn't a lot of room for deviation from that myth arc because it can come off as incoherent and decisive in the way of writing. So you don't really have the luxury to do that. But with a, with a series like Strange New Worlds, you're able to explore different things in every episode. And because of that, because of this hybrid episodic format, you're able to get to know some of these characters, as I said, in a matter of what, four or five episodes? In five episodes, we have a general idea of what Una is about. We have a general idea of who La'an is. We have a general idea as to who, um, obviously, Pike, uh, Spock, we've known. But for the most part, we, we have even the, the transporter guy, Kyle, Chief Kyle, I want to say his name is, the guy that runs the transporter. We even know about him. He's like the new O'Brien, it seems like, from TNG. He's just that guy that's always in the transporter room. And I'm watching him with a close eye because I have a feeling he's going to become that guy. Maybe not as good as O'Brien because Cole Meany is just an amazing talent. Uh, but it is interesting to see that type of character, again, being built slowly in the background. So, yeah, it is a testament. An episode like this where you need to know your characters to grasp the comedy or at least to make the comedy work, we have to know our characters. And the reason why we know our characters is because that hybrid episodic format that's allowing us to move away from, let's say, the myth arc, which there really isn't one in this show. That's a story for another time or topic for discussion for another time. So ultimately, it, what they're doing by bringing this element back into Star Trek, it's working. It absolutely is working. Now, I'm not saying that we should just move everything back to this format because I'm a sucker for the serialized but in this instance, it does absolutely work. And to add to this thought, I felt like the Spock and Nurse Chapel interplay was really, really great. And if you're paying attention, we went from Chapel being flirtatious with Spock to, at least by the end of this episode, to realizing that she might have feelings for him. This was brought to the forefront when Ortegas and Chapel were talking towards the end of the episode and they were talking about dating and finding someone uh, that Chapel could really like more than just a casual fling, if you will. And Chapel said, I don't know. It would have to be the right guy. And then there's a pause. And then she doesn't say what she was going to say. But based on how that moment was directed, she was going to say, she was going to say someone like Spock. And she thought twice about sharing that type of sentiment with Ortegas because obviously Spock is unavailable. So I like instances like that, that this episode also did. And they were able to do that yet again because Five episodes in, we have a general idea of what Chapel is about and where Spock is currently in his life. So that is another point to add to the, the episodic aspect of this series. Or maybe a better way of saying that is the return to the episodic. 
And just look at all those fantastic moments between the two of them, Spock and Chapel. Really, the episode was, I would say, had less to do because the episode was promoted as to Pring and Spock. But in a lot of ways, it had less to do with to Pring and Spock and more to do with building out the relationship between Spock and Chapel. See, if it was me at this moment, at that moment, if I was Spock, I would have just dumped to Pring. Forget duty, forget betrothed. I'm going for Chapel because she. She's a keeper. She might be just being a little bit of a Star Trek douche here for a second. Eh, she might be my new Star Trek crush. I'm just going to I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm definitely digging the chemistry between the two of them, Ethan Peck and Jess Bush, I believe, is the name of the actor that plays uh, Chapel. Really good. And as I was saying, I'm not. A shipper. I'm, come on, I'm 42 years old. I'm not a shipper per se, but shit, I really want them to get together. That's there's a specialness to their relationship and the way they're fleshing out the, the, the subtleties of their feelings. Because I would say even Spock is starting to have some feelings for Chapel. He may not recognize it as of yet, but the fact that he punched the, what was that? that uh, the guy that T'Pring was after, his name eludes me, but the Vulcan that insulted Chapel. I mean, without hesitation, he socked that guy in the, in the face. That was an emotional reaction. That was his way of being the chivalrous gentleman. And how dare you speak against this woman? And throughout the episode, they were protective of each other so when you really take a step back it was less about the relationship of T'Pring and Spock and it was more it was more about Chapel and Spock and showing the the potential incompatibility of T'Pring and Spock she's very much Vulcan which this is no secret this is I'm not saying anything new the Vulcan culture or I should say Vulcan society, is slightly prejudiced. Uh, there's a bit of a superiority complex there. And T. Pring, uh, T. Pring is a perfect example of that mentality towards non-Vulcans. They're incompatible. I mean, this is not any new information that was stated as much in the original series when Spock and T'Pring end up ending their relationship because of that very thing, because he's not full Vulcan. And I like that Chapel understands Spock. That's another thing that was brought to the forefront of this episode. Chapel understands Spock and accepts his Vulcan human quirks, whereas T'Pring struggles with with his humanity and his Vulcan human quirks. So there's definitely a contrast there that the, the writers are working to, to bring out. And for those keeping track at home, as I had mentioned briefly a second ago, this is very much consistent with Star Trek canon. The name of this episode alone alludes to the obvious. This episode builds upon a story developed for the original series over 50 years ago, Amok Time where T'Pring and Spock's betrothal 
comes to an end because T'Pring prefers a pure blood Vulcan over Spock. So a title, so the title of this episode, Spock Amok, works chronologically as a prequel of sorts. And just a side note, I absolutely love Amok Time as an episode. I would probably say it's one of my favorite Trek episodes from the original series, probably on my top five. I don't know if it's number one, but I would definitely say it's on my top five. Not only does it delve into Vulcan lore or Vulcan mysticism, the spiritual side of Vulcan beliefs, which I love, and I'll get into this a bit more in a second, but the episode has become embedded within pop culture so many films tv shows even music there's rap songs that have referenced that episode because of that classic amic time theme song uh, that actually they used at the very beginning of the episode during spock's dream sequence i believe and i want to say that my favorite reference not to to derail this conversation or this discussion too much but I want to say my favorite, my absolute favorite reference to this episode, Amok Time, within pop culture, has to be from Ben Stiller's film, Cable Guy, which starred Jim Carrey and Matthew Broderick. And I have that scene here to play for you guys in just a second once it pulls up. And if you haven't watched Cable Guy, shame on you. It's probably one of Jim Carrey's, I personally believe it's Jim Carrey's funniest film. It's highly underrated. It has a very dark theme, and there's tons of television and movie references because it's about a guy that was raised by watching television, essentially. Spock had to fight Kirk on Star Trek. Best friends forced to do battle. Jim Carrey's such a jackass. scene super funny and of course using the omic time theme just made it work that much better in fact the scene wouldn't work without that song and the fact that jim carrey's all is just (laughs) perfect if you haven't seen the movie check it out it's great so let's get back on track here overall they handled the spock stuff beautifully The ritual combat scene during Spock's dream was a, I would say essentially was just a representational metaphor for his internal struggle, which, listen, that's the way you do it. We don't need to hear some type of bullshit exposition where Spock talks about his internal problems. 
with his human side and Vulcan side. Sure, you can make it work, and they have done that a couple times, but this is an interesting way to start bringing that element forward. I feel like a lot of us Star Trek fans need to remember, you know, old school. Let's say old school or maybe long-term, long-standing Star Trek fans. We get it. But also, Strange New Worlds has been promoted as as a bit of um, a jump off. Like, hey, you know what? This is a great starting point for new Star Trek fans. If you've never watched Star Trek and you're interested in getting your feet wet, getting involved in Star Trek, this series is the series to watch because there isn't really a lot of things you need to know about the over the overarching evolving story of Star Trek. Obviously there's things that we understand when we're watching it, but you don't need to know all those little finer details to appreciate the show. So, so having things like this, this, this representational metaphor for his internal struggle, it works to start planting those seeds so that new Star Trek viewers, as well as the longstanding Star Trek fans, you know, feel like they are going in that direction. They're staying with Canon it builds on this conflict between the Vulcan and the human side. And it makes it clear to, to the new fans and it allows us longstanding fans to say, okay, yeah, this, this works with what I know of Spock. And this isn't anything new. Spock's struggle between the human side and the Vulcan side and the prejudice he has faced, you know, his whole life that that was used very well throughout, I'd say Star Trek's 50 years 50 plus years of history. In fact, it was an element that even JJ Abrams developed fairly well in the 2009 Star Trek Kelvin timeline reboot. And I know that may be blasphemous to some people, but listen, that first installment into the Kelvin timeline, pretty solid picture. I mean, yeah, it's void of the philosophy and it's void of the, the Shakespearean, you know, the notes of Shakespearean literature that's used to govern a lot of the the themes and, and some of the over the top melodrama at times, but, but the movie in itself is good because it seems like who the, the individuals who wrote the, the episode, the movie, which I believe was Alex Kurtzman come to think of it along with JJ. I could be wrong, but I, I think it is, or I think it was, uh, there is a, a bit of an understanding of those characters and Spock was one of those characters that I felt they did understand and they continued that, that struggle, that internal conflict of the human and the Vulcan side. It's just, it, you, you got to do it. If you're going to be telling Spock's story, especially at this time in his life, I mean, it may be a different type of story if you're dealing with TNG era Spock. There, there's a reconciliation there. Uh, there's a respect and admiration across the board when it comes to Vulcan. Also, I mean, Vulcan by that time has also progressed and evolved in their own way because believe it or not, the Vulcans, you know, early on in Star Trek canon, they uh, may have come off as logical and serene, but they were struggling with a lot of their own notions of prejudice. In fact, I believe that was delved into during the fourth season of Enterprise, it, it talks about the the Vulcan corruption and the 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 oppression of of certain Vulcan beliefs. So they're doing it, they're doing it well so far in Strange New Worlds. As I said, we're five episodes in, and it feels right. It feels like they have that understanding when it comes to specifically Spock. 
And they did a good job foreshadowing things to come, you know, things that, that will eventually make its way into Star Trek stories once we hit that original series era. Uh, quickly, I, I do want to thank uh, the listener that sent me a message expressing their gratitude for the amount of effort that David and I put into this show when it comes to explaining certain things, pretty much what I just did for the last five minutes about Trek that they may not be aware of, specifically when it comes to our referencing specific episodes of Trek that aid in the understanding of an episode. It's not necessary in understanding the episode, but it does aid in the understanding. It adds a level of enjoyment to uh, the, the overall the overall watch experience. So keeping with that, let's talk about the Khalifi. I believe that's how you pronounce it. The Vulcan ritual. So basically what the, the Khalifi is, which is literally translated as challenge. It is, is very, it's very simple. It's basically a Vulcan passion fight. Traditionally to the death, but not necessarily. And which two Vulcan males, very masculine, fight for the right to mate with a certain female. So during the Vulcan mating ritual known as the, the Kunut Khalifi, forgive my pronunciation of, of this, Vulcan experts out there, uh, a female could claim Khalifi if she did not want the male arranged for her at childhood at which point the male arranged for her must fight the female selected champion, which is what we saw in Amic time in the original series. Another thing that I appreciate is in this episode is the writers refraining from the over explaining from, let me, let me rephrase that to make it sound a little better. I appreciate the writers refraining from over explaining the Vulcan Katra. This is a big one for me. And I, I always find myself a little conflicted because just me as a fan of, of pop culture, movies, television, I tend to gravitate to the more mystic side of entertainment, things that delve into the mysticism of whatever it may be. Uh, and though Star Trek, for the most part, is steeped in science as opposed to, say, mysticism, there is something to be gained by keeping some ambiguity. Uh, the way, um, for example, that Mbanga described the Katra was perfect. The Katra bridges the gap between medicine and something else. And then he says, after a pause, the mind, but doesn't go into further detail. And I'm glad because the Katra has, has been alluded to being the essence of, of the Vulcan, you know, the Vulcan mind, the Vulcan body uh, has been alluded to it being the soul. Uh, they have left open-ended questions throughout the 50 plus years of Star Trek canon when it comes to the Katra. So if they were to go in in this time period and, and, and Trek canon and decide to explain it surely in the way of science, it would feel it would cheapen it, in my opinion. Uh, it, let's leave a little bit of ambiguity attached to certain things, uh, especially when it comes to the Katra. And, and listen, it could also, when he says the mind, it's no different than the human consciousness. Uh, that's how I, 
that's how I took it as well. Or you could take that. And one of the greatest mysteries to this day, we understand so many things about the human body. So many things. But the one thing that continues to elude humanity and our own world and the real world is consciousness, the mind. We don't know how a bunch of neurons create consciousness. We have some theories and ideas, but we have no definitive facts to base our theories on. We're like, well, we think this happens. So the fact that he says something else, or I should say the fact that Mbanga then says it bridges the gap between medicine and something else, the mind, you have that, that uh, the parallel between the human consciousness and the mind of the Vulcan, let's call it, and then we could just say the Katra. So you can look at it the two, diff- two different ways. It's the greatest mystery of all time, you know, the human consciousness and the Katra. So it does work. And this ambiguity has always worked for me in Star Trek. And it's always been a part of Star Trek. So if they were to get really in depth now, start explaining certain things. And I know we we do gravitate to the science in Star Trek because because Star Trek is true science fiction. Science governs the world. Pseudoscience, fringe science, uh, proven science in, in our time period. But it is science. There's realism there or naturalism is probably a better word to use. But that doesn't mean there aren't elements within Star Trek that cannot be explained and shouldn't be explained. There is something to be said about the the spiritual aspects of Star Trek. For example, the Klingon belief, highly, highly steeped in mysticism. And it's never been fully explained. And I don't think they should ever explain some of, these, some of these things. For example, there's an episode of Star Trek Voyager called the, the Barge of the Dead. And it's from season six, episode three. And this episode is about Belana, who is a half-human, half-Klingon hybrid and she is dying and she finds herself on the barge of the dead, which is based on Klingon belief, heading to the Klingon, Klingon version of hell because she dishonored her Klingon heritage. They never really explain whether or not it really happened or if it was a fever dream as she was dying. And it worked because it, it maintained the mysticism that has governed a lot of the spiritual aspects of the Klingon beliefs, but it also doesn't move into the fantastical. It doesn't destroy the science of Star Trek. The fact that we live, or I should say the fact that the, the people in the world of Star Trek, they live in a world governed by naturalism, real things. And if you start saying, yeah, this is magic and, and spirits and ghosts and goblins, it'll change. It would make feel Star Trek. It makes Star Trek feel weird. So again, as I said, there's something to be said about the ambiguity that the prophets of Deep Space Nine, though described as simply wormhole aliens by Starfleet, it was heavily implied they were so much more. And the list goes on and on and on. There's so many different aspects that we can delve into when it comes to this very topic. 
Another interesting aspect that the Strange New Worlds utilized, and God bless these writers for obviously going back. I have a feeling their assignment from the showrunner was to sit down and watch every single episode of the original series. And listen, if it was me, I would have told them to go back and watch every single episode before you fucking put any words to that paper. Or, you know, listen, no one writes with paper nowadays unless you're Quentin Tarantino, but it's a figure of speech. Before you write any words, watch every single episode of Star Trek ever produced and every single movie because then you can have a general idea of what the fuck you're doing. And obviously, these writers have done their homework because they continue to use things that have been established little nuances of knowledge that was so things that were said in passing that was never meant to be anything more than just simply plot progression, things to help your story, you know, move forward. But the Yambanga stuff, the fact that he understood. And I can't believe I even remembered this because I don't have a lot of, I honestly don't remember Mbanga a lot in the original series. Certainly his name is familiar, uh, but he just, he wasn't in the original series a whole lot. So it's not a character that I always remember, but I do remember that McCoy talked about a doctor that, that understood Vulcan, the Vulcan mind or the Vulcan, Vulcan medicine. So I looked it up to see if, if I was just making things up and sure enough, there's an episode from the original series, A Private Little War, where McCoy briefly mentions that Dr. Mbanga understands Vulcan medicine. And I found this article that actually goes into this very topic when I started doing my research. Okay, so this article basically was, they wrote an article kind of smearing Star Trek three saying that it makes that this episode, this current episode that we're talking about makes Star Trek three look silly because they went through that entire process, but going to that mountain in Vulcan that um, was used to reconnect the Katra of Spock that was placed in McCoy prior to his death in Ratha Khan in order to preserve his, his memories and his knowledge, he put it into McCoy and in order to get it out of McCoy and put it into Spock's, this sounds so stupid when you say it out loud, but his new body after being reborn due to the Genesis experiment or the Genesis project, they had to go to Vulcan to do a process that essentially Mbenga actually knew how to do. He understands the Vulcan medicines. I don't remember the exact verbiage. So as I said, my hat's off to the writers for, for digging fucking deep because that's a deep cut. That's something that, I don't think even the, the, the hardest, the hardest of Star Trek fans would remember because I consider myself a hardcore Star Trek fan. And the fact that it just, this sounds familiar, but I had to look it up. So uh, then to top things off in classic Trek fashion, we had some type of philosophical debate or questions posed as it pertains to the potential homogenization of a culture once it joins the Federation. This is probably 
a metaphor for assimilation, what is colloquially referred to as the melting pot. We've all heard that. It's a term that a lot of people refrain from using now and certain academic liberal circles, and they prefer the term multiculturalism. And I'd say the Federation is geared or aligned more with with the definition of multiculturalism, which is basically, you know, people who come to one country and rather than, than feeling like they must assimilate and become a melting pot of different cultures where they lose a bit of their own culture by the process of assimilation. Instead, they hold on to their culture and become, uh, uh, yes, every bit of American as they should be in this country, but also they don't forget their, their cultural roots essentially that's a very simplistic explanation but that's the gist of it and that was the point pike made that no you don't you don't need to forget your culture by joining the federation no we celebrate the inclusion of other cultures because with the inclusion of other cultures it makes us stronger as an organization as a as a government if you will so that was a I thought that was a strong addition and it wasn't a major part of the episode, but listen, you're dealing with these types of things. It would feel weird if they didn't pose these types of questions in certain episodes, because this to me is what makes Star Trek. Star Trek is the philosophy. It is the posing of questions, questions that we may not always agree with at times, but that's what philosophy is. Philosophy is not about necessarily telling you how to think or telling you what you should and shouldn't do. Philosophy is about asking questions. In fact, you're a philosopher if you ask questions. Not just simply accepting things as they are, but take those things, internalize them, think about them, and then pose questions. Whether or not, hey, should we look at things differently? Does this work? Let me present another idea. What do you think of that? And that's exactly what they were able to get done in a matter of what? I don't know, four or five minutes was that entire scene, but it, but it did work. And it was the icing on the cake for this episode that was already firing on all cylinders. And that was just, that was just a great way to bring it to a, to a close. So on that note, that does bring us to the end of our discussion this this episode i'm gonna give a 95 percent on the rmd score which i want to say is the second to highest score i've given the first five episodes so episode two i gave a 98 percent so yeah this is the second highest rated episode for me because it was just it was it was damn near perfect. It was funny. It had philosophy. It had amazing character development. It, it was fantastic in the way of really keeping to Star Trek canon. The deep cut with Mbanga, the Nurse Chapel and Spock stuff was dynamite. So yeah, 96% on the RMD score. I'm hoping we get more episodes like this. Maybe not the comedy in every episode because that just is not what star trek is at its core but certainly hey let's give us a funny episode every season that'd be great i'd be definitely okay with that 
So before I close out today's show, I do want to remind people to please find us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Rayman Digital, you can pledge to our Patreon page, and that does help us continue to be able to break down shows. David and I have not had any breaks since when did Discovery Season 4 premiere? Like in November? We haven't really had any breaks. It's a lot of work to do these shows, a lot of thinking and pondering and breaking things down. And in order to, to justify doing these, we do need your, your assistance if, we're, if we are to continue. And not only the, the man hours, but the, the amount of power um, utilities. I mean, it's, it costs me about 10 bucks just to turn the, the air conditioning on in the studio for you know, a, a 90 minutes of recording. Because in order to run this type of equipment that I have behind me, you got to have it all cooled down. Otherwise, there's going to be, you know, some serious issues here. We're going to have a fire. So it's not a cheap endeavor. So I do urge people to please help us out. We're not asking for handouts. I'm not panhandling. I give something in return. And that's additional content. When you pledge to Patreon, you gain access to I want to say thousands of hours. I, I was saying hundreds, but then I went back and I, I believe we passed that hundreds mark quite a bit ago. So if you go back or I should say, if you go to patreon.com slash Rayman digital and pledge $5 or more a month, you'll gain access to all of our behind the scenes tiers, which uh, is where we post all of our pre-show discussions on star Trek from the holodeck. And then of course you'll gain access to our podcast here which gives you all of our Patreon exclusive Star Trek discussions that we do. And we delve into different things. I mean, you name a topic in Star Trek and we get to it eventually. It's not episodic breakdowns. We don't necessarily do that, but we do take specific episodes or two or three episodes at a time. And we, we break down certain themes that are common in Star Trek. Uh, we talk about certain elements of Star Trek, like the Maquis, uh, Q. We've broken down um, Q's story. From beginning to about halfway through, we haven't even completed that yet. But go to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge, please. It really does help us, and you're going to get something out of it as well. That does bring us to the end. Now, I do want to let everyone know that the next two episodes of Strange New Worlds, when it, when it comes to our breakdowns and discussions, is going to be a little late. Um. Because vacation time's coming up. June is, is crazy for me in my personal life. So I'm going to be out of the studio for the next week and a half. We're going to try to jump back in here soon and get a couple episodes done so we don't fall too behind. But just letting you know, don't panic if you don't see the episode pop up on your feeds around the time that it normally does. It'll be a little late. And same thing with the, the, the following episode. So I want to thank everyone for listening. And bearing with a solo show, I'm hoping it's not too boring just hearing me go on and on about Star Trek and the things that I love. I feel like David definitely brings a, an element to the show, and I, I personally feel like he's missed, but I hope I can. I'm doing a good enough job keeping everyone entertained and interested in our discussions uh, while he's gone. And he should definitely be back by episode six. So thank you everyone i couldn't help but notice your pain my pain it runs deep share it with me end simulation